0: Thank you. This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, religion, and so much more with me, Adam Smith. I always say that whether you view the Bible as a faith or life book, the lessons are real. One life book lesson comes from Exodus, especially through the trials and triumphs of Moses. Most know Moses as the let my people go freer of the Hebrew slaves from Egyptian captivity long before the great Harriet Tubman was gifted with his nickname. Moses was a man that lived for almost 80 years as an Egyptian, only to find out that he was in fact a Hebrew, a people who had been enslaved by the Egyptians since the death of Joseph. Moses fled Egypt for the land of Midian after killing an Egyptian guard who was beating a Hebrew stonecutter. Today we're going to have some biblical shop talk about applying Moses' life lessons of letting go, leadership, and listening to our daily lives with my friend and brother, Tim Sutherland. Tim is a licensed counselor, executive coach, and consultant who works with leaders and nonprofit organizations across the country and around the world. He is a graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary and Milligan University and holds the Graduate Certificate in Leadership Studies from Johnson University. He is a third-generation non-denominational pastor and published author, including commentaries on Jonah and Obadiah. Tim has two grown sons. One grandbaby and hails from Knoxville, Tennessee. Tim, thanks for joining me for some Biblical Shop Talk. Let's get uncomfortable. Tim, brother, thank you so much for joining me for this Shop Talk conversation. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me. How
1: are you doing today?
0: I'm all right. I mean, this you you brought this to me it might have been 2 weeks ago we were coaching on some stuff and you had your reading for the day and it really it really aligned in talking about this journey of moses cuz i think so many of us think this charlton heston character and this really even though that old school movie is is um an epic and it's long it's really a snippet of Moses's journey. So I think about Moses's life in these phases. So when he's the Egyptian prince, and then he finds out that he's a Hebrew, and so he goes to the wilderness to escape persecution for killing the guard, and then he becomes the emancipator right? And then you free the, free the Hebrews and you wander the wilderness again. Can you set the stage for everybody who don't understand or don't fully understand Moses's journey and story and talk a little
1: bit about that timeline a bit? Sure. Uh, for many of us, which is in, includes me, um, we were raised on Moses as Charlton Heston and what the Exodus movie would come on. Didn't it used to usually come on on Easter Sunday night? It did that, and the Wizard of Oz. Right? Yeah, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm a, uh, my dad's a pastor, and my grandfather before, so I was always in church on Sunday night. So I never got to see it, um, but I that was the only Charlton Heston, only Moses I knew was Charlton Heston, and you know, and he's very, he's very grim and very stolid and very, you know, these chiseled, very very white guy features and he's old and he's kind of surly and 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 burly and it's like, yeah, we have no idea uh if that was anything like the real Moses. What we see in in turn is uh in scripture is in in my opinion a much, much better story and a much more three-dimensional character than we ever see. Uh with all with all with all due respect to who was that Cecil B. DeMills did uh, Exodus with, That's all, it. Uh, with all due respect to the great filmmaker or producer or whatever his role was in that, in that particular joint. Um, the, the picture we get in scripture is wonderfully three-dimensional, you know, it's, it and really, it starts right out of the gate with Exodus chapter one, And uh, anytime we hear the word Exodus, regardless of what our race or ethnicity, we ought to think of something is that in, in, in the Black experience, the experience of God is inseparable from just the word Exodus, period. So right out of the, I mean, even before you get to the first word, even before we hear Moses, Exodus, boom, what are we talking about? Exodus means to, is the exit of us out of slavery and this is not this is not just the african american experience this is this is also the judeo christian experience a lot of people don't realize the connection between just the word exodus and the story of exodus as the primary template for understanding judeo christian spirituality period. So we're we're already playing on a big stage. This is not some kind of obscure Moses was this guy who lived x number of years ago so many centuries BC. No, no, no. This is playing on a big stage, the biggest of stages. It's not it's the Exodus. And it starts, the Exodus starts with, you know, God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrews are down in Egypt and they're flourishing and then a pharaoh arises. And he's afraid of them because they are doing so well. And so, guess what? We'll we'll enslave them. And that's how the Israelites—that's how the Hebrews became slaves in the first place because they were they were prospering in a foreign land. They were already living in exile of sorts, but they were flourishing in exile. And so he says, you know, we, we have to uh, uh, we have to keep them down. And so he puts out this this edict that says all Israelite, all Hebrew, all Jewish babies that are male have to get thrown in the river. The the, the girls will leave them alone, but the boys were going to throw in the river. And so what you've got is a kind of selective genocide. I I had the, the I guess you'd call it, it's not exactly a pleasure. I had the privilege of getting to visit the Marimbi genocide in Rwanda back in 2010, and, you know, where a million people were 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 killed by machete in the course of about 90 days. And I saw the corpses that had been uh, preserved through just being thrown in lime pits and whatnot. And so I don't say genocide lightly um, and I don't bandy it around. That's what it was. Because think about it. If, if only boy babies are surviving, how long are the Hebrews going to survive at all as a racially and ethnically distinct people? They're not going to because then they'll have to interbreed they'll have to interbreed so to speak they'll have to mingle and 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 the hebrews won't be hebrews anymore the hebrews at most within a generation will only be half hebrew and it's it's a diluting of of the, of the hebrew people which is another word for genocide. It's a killing of their race. And so that's the that's the setting so we got kind of dun big big music here in the background. So that's going on and and then uh Moses's mother really wants him to survive. And so she's brilliant. She decides uh she decides to follow Pharaoh's edict that all male babies of Jewish, Hebrew, Israelite birth, be thrown in the river, but she throws his him in the river, but she puts him in a basket first. Yeah, and uh, and it's interesting in Exodus uh, chapter two, they actually refer to the basket as an ark.
0: Mm, that's so right. So again, we ought I to do. think,
1: oh, wh- why is ark important? All oh, because the ark is how God saved the world the first time from evil and violence and oppression with Noah. So we hear Ark and we ought to think, okay, God saved the world through an Ark and through Noah and his descendants. And now look, he's saving it again.
0: Well, and the same thing, and we'll even take the Ark a little bit further, the same thing was how folks referred to the emancipation of Black slaves mm. and the mm. Underground Railroad. Harriet Tubman's nickname was Moses, is Moses. Mm. So that is, freedom and justice and emancipation and um, is all biblical salvation, right? And survival amid an attack on genocide of a people group. It's one of the reasons we always say, I don't say African-American, I say Black, because we are like Hmong. We are a people that have survived an attempt to be destroyed. So I cut you off at the Ark and the Basket,
1: yeah so again, there are there are all these little little uh, uh, tips that something really big is going on here. So Exodus, really big. Ark, really big. So she puts him in a basket, puts him in the river and then lo and behold, Pharaoh's own daughter comes down to the water to bathe and and sees this baby in a basket and she just falls in love with this kid and she wants him. And it's interesting because crouching nearby is Moses' sister. Now we don't know how old Moses' sister was, but Moses is an infant, and his sister is old enough to talk. And his sister is sly too. And so when his sister sees the the daughter of Pharaoh, basically the princess of Egypt, say uh, drawing her bro- her brother out of the water, and and frankly uh, that's what the word Moses, that's what the name actually means. It means to draw out of water. And again, when you hear that. That's a foreshadowing of what's about to come with the whole Red Sea thing. Because the very people of God have been drawn out of the water, saved from the water in the Red Sea. So again, dun dun big time stuff going on here. And sorry, but I I I can feel this. Anyhow, <laughs> and, uh, I can feel this. And and so she she kind of sidles up to Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt, and says, "Hey, you know, uh, you want—that's uh, a Hebrew baby, of course. Um, you want you want me to get a a Hebrew woman to nurse him for you, to wet nurse him for you?" And she says, "Why, certainly." And then guess guess who Moses' sister gets uh, to be his wet nurse? Moses' own mom! Oh, this is a great story. And it's interesting um, because he actually isn't just nursed by his own mom; she actually raises him at least till the age of two. So already God has saved Moses from this genocide out of the water through this thing that nobody would expect it, and the and and the the uh, somebody from the oppressor's own household is used in the salvation and redemption of God's people. Oh, it's beautiful. The irony is there. The storyline. See, you don't get you don't get this in the movie that we used to see yeah. on uh, on uh, Easter, Easter Sunday, Sunday night, which right. I didn't get to see because I had to be in church because we were legalistic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of the one of the interesting things that I wrote a thesis all about the accurate historical representation of biblical figures, mm. mm-hmm. and Moses is one of the first people you look to, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't hide among... See, Moses spends, Tim, what, 80 years thinking he is a an Egyptian prince, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone thinks he's an Egyptian prince. The only people that know this are his mother, his sister, his adopted mother, the princess, mm-hmm. and there were some slaves out helping the princess bathe, I think is what was going on. And so... Moses can't look like Charlton Heston he must look like an Egyptian right cuz nobody knows just like Jesus's family runs right after the magi tell mm-hmm. them okay uh, Herod is going to try to kill you where do they run Egypt we're well, not going to okay. hide in Egypt if you're blonde hair blue eyes people are like hey here's this yeah. dude right yeah. and this is Egypt before colonization so let's let's be clear this isn't Egypt. This is African Egypt, not Egypt colonized Egypt. And Egypt is Egyptians are still non-Caucasian people. In this day, we're talking thousands and thousands of years since that time. So it's important for all of us to recognize kind of those twists and why those twists are being made on the visual representation of these important characters in our lives because Moses had more in common with Harriet Tubman than we think Moses and Harriet Tubman probably looked in the same skin color the same hue with the same god-given mission yeah.
1: and what i love about the story is so many people know the, or at least a handful of people know that uh on kind of on the slide on the dl that 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 he's that that he's not egyptian that he's a hebrew but he doesn't. So nobody, nobody tells him. And he, and you got to wonder, this is how we know the context was genocide. You know why they didn't tell him? Because they didn't want him to know that he was on his own, essentially uh, adopted grandfather's uh, you know, what list of the next person to die. So man, stakes are so high. It's, and and the Bible just says, we don't know how old Moses was when he learned that he was that he was a Hebrew. We don't know. We don't even know who told him.
0: Right. That's exactly right.
1: So basically we go from Moses being raised by his own mom for at least two years, maybe even three or four before he then is raised as the, the, the Disney (laughs) Prince of Egypt. Uh, But Here is this guy who is from an oppressed people and now he's part of the privileged class. I was uh, listening to a podcast recently and she refused to, the podcaster refused to use the word race. She said, it's not race. It's a caste system. And she talked about race as, as an invention of the uh, antebellum American South and that the notion of race is is really a modified caste system. so she wouldn't even call it race. So that interesting. So he goes from being part of the of an oppressed race or an oppressed caste to part of the ruling privileged elite. We, you know we talk about white privilege and you know white male privilege that he had him some pharaoh Egyptian privilege. He is the top you know and you know he he probably grew up. Uh, practicing the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules, and that's Pharaoh. And we got to keep in mind, Pharaoh was not just uh, powerful; he was considered to be a god. And so Moses is raised as essentially the grandson of a god. And you talk, you talk about privilege you talk about entitlement. So he's raised in privilege and entitlement, but then somebody decides to tell him somehow that that he's not Egyptian. And uh, he apparently took it in stride until he goes out and sees an Egyptian uh, taskmaster just beating the living daylights out of a, a Hebrew slave and and Moses can't handle it. He, he 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 rises up. Righteous indignation rises in his in his chest and in his breast, and and he he basically puts a beat down on on the on the taskmaster, on the literal slave driver. Kills him, hides him in the sand. Does one of these where he's looking. It even says in the Bible that he looked to and fro. I love that little piece of you know. These aren't made up stories. It's like Moses is like he, his, his head is on a swivel. As he's burying this this Egyptian cat, and he thinks he's gotten away with it, then the next day he goes out again to see where his people are laboring, and he sees two Hebrews um, in, in, in a fight. And and again, he know he knows that this that this violence violence against his people is wrong, but also violence between his people is wrong. Oh man, we could do a whole episode on that. Because, because we all know that that racial violence isn't just one race on the other. There's all sorts of racist violence that goes on intra as well as inter race. And Moses sees that as injustice, and he says, you know, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? I'm, I presume he's talking to the guy who's getting the better of of, of the of the, the throwdown there. And it's so interesting what what one of his own people says to him. What are you going to kill? You going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses is like busted and Moses freaks. And then uh, his own uh, adopted grandfather puts a price on his head. He's a wanted man and he flees. And so now the the oppressed baby who becomes the privileged ruling class is now marginalized by his own crime. But notice he's not just marginalized in, in Egypt. He's marginalized among his own people because his own people turn on him.
0: That's right. Well, and the, the, the thing is, it, it reminds me of uh, one of our podcast episodes where we're talking about what happened in Memphis mm. and how there's this idea that if we hire black police, mm. they aren't going to do harm to black people. Mm. You don't understand racism if you don't think if you don't understand that the black police doing harm to the black people murdering that black man mm-hmm. did that because of racism and anti-blackness right and so it's those threads that continue through moses's journey moses yes. flees right mm-hmm. and he ends up in the land of midian yes talk a little bit about this story right because oh. it's the the seven daughters are at the well of the priest of Midian talk a little bit about the story especially the through lines about regardless of what's going on Moses is still in a space of justice right he's Absolutely. still
1: in that space yeah even when he has now been marginalized and and uh and oppressed like he knew he wasn't going to get a fair shake in Egypt so he so he heads out to the wilderness, essentially. Uh, the, the people of Midian were a, were a nomadic tribe, but they were outside of the ruling power. They were not yet conquered or colonized by the Egyptians. He gets out there, and even though he is on the run, literally running from his life, uh, uh, his own grandfathers put a price on his head, his own people— have cast aspersions and didn't appreciate what he was doing to try and be a force of of justice and uh, resistance against violence against them. So he's out there, and and he when he gets there, and we assume it happened pretty pretty uh, close to uh, contemporaneously. Pretty as soon as he gets there, he goes to this well. And you got to remember wells aren't just everywhere. You you, you had to travel sometimes days and weeks to get to a well out there. Think like the desert of Sinai, the Arabian peninsula that, you know, Israel had it after the war, after the 7 days war, and then they gave it then they gave it back and you know, they just there's just not much there from a uh, a perspective of natural resources or riches or wealth, but there are these Midianites and it's interesting cuz see here's another piece, Midianites just happened to be the descendants of Abraham too. The Israelites are descended through the chosen line, but the Midianites are descended through the children that Abraham had with his hand servant. So, they are, uh, I don't know if that makes them distant cousins or what, but so these people, the Midianites, are descended from Abraham, who know the one true God as well. And so he, he's at this well, and there's these seven daughters there, and they're trying to get water for their household and their flock. And then these shepherds, these male shepherds, come to the well and start uh, oppressing them. And like, why do these shepherds not let these seven daughters, these seven sisters have any water? Well, see, here's where the story's got sexism in it. Here's how it goes. Hey, we're the real shepherds because we're the men, and you guys are just a bunch of women, so step aside, ladies, only they didn't treat them like ladies, and Moses sees this, and again, justice rises up in in his bosom. He can't stand this, and and, uh, one of the commentators I was reading says, did Moses fight off the shepherds? All by himself, and this one commentator said that he was trained in the arts of war by the great by the greatest military in the world, and so he would have had no trouble making short work of these guys. So he made short work of these of these uh, shepherds who were oppressing these women. That he he doesn't know he doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know that they're actually his kinsmen from way 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 back, but he knows it isn't right. So he not only keeps them from getting beat up and beat down, he then waters their flocks for them. So this is just, even when his own life is in danger, justice burns in him. Justice burns in this guy. So man, great story. Great story. Love it so much. Well, talk a little bit about, because one of the
0: really interesting parts is that the daughters, the, mm. the girls, they end up going back and yeah. they see their dad and they their dad asks what any dad would because as you described it takes a long time to get to the well yeah. it takes a long time to water the flock yeah and he says why are you back so early yeah what happened yeah and they say this egyptian these shepherds were messing with us, and this Egyptian came in, and he took care of them, and then he watered our flock for them. And here's here's the <laughs> front porch people part of this that makes us, again, another through line to understanding who the Midianites are, who mm. the Egyptians are. The dad says, well, how come you didn't invite this dude over to supper? I mean, that's about the blackity blackest thing you would ever do. Wait a minute. This guy helped you all, fought off these people, and you didn't make a plate for him? What, yeah. what are we doing here? Right? Yes. So then they send for Moses. Moses comes and dines. And then the priest gives Moses one of his daughters, right? Yeah. And he marries her. Tim, talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So this father of these seven girls is identified earlier in Exodus as as his name is Ruel, and then later he's re- identified as Jethro. And people wonder, how could it be the same guy? Some scholars think that Jethro was like a title, like a way of saying your excellency, because he was a priest, which in those days he was a tribal leader. So Jethro, uh, contrary to what you might think it, when you think of uh, Jethro Boudin on the Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro was a, was a, was a term of, of dignity and honor. And so when Ruel and Jethro are the same, and he's got these seven daughters, and, and uh, he, he realizes what his seven daughters didn't realize. He sees Moses and he goes, this guy's a keeper. I want him part of our family. Man, if he's going to protect strangers— from oppression think what he'll do for his own people and remember in those days marriage wasn't about romantic bonds it was about ties between people groups and so jethro Ruel gives uh his daughter uh, zipporah or zippora i don't know how to say her name exactly i always, i always just say zipporah cuz it's uh it makes me think of zip and it's uh uh it, and it's interesting um later Turns out Moses catches flack because guess who's even more dark-skinned than Moses is? Zebra. She's, she's referred to as a Cushite. In fact, Moses's own people, his own brother and sister grumble against him because he had married a dark-skinned woman. Think of the irony of that. So the, the oppressed Israelites just now fresh out of slavery are saying, yeah, but our leader who just saved us. From the most mighty, bloodthirsty empire in the whole world. But he's married, but but he's married to a black woman. In fact, right. and, and and this is not modern interpretation. You look in, in terms of medieval art, Renaissance art, the, the wife of, of Moses is always depicted as a thoroughly dark-skinned, black-skinned person with what would be generally considered to be more or less African features. Yeah. In fact, some well, would say that they were even from Ethiopia, perhaps.
0: Well, one of the one of the things that you and I talked about was how this is all happening when Moses <laughs> is in the wilderness. Yes. You, 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 and I'm. I don't want to misquote you, but you and I were talking about how the wilderness is the space between where you are and where God has intended for you to be.
1: Is yeah, that- it's, it's it's this in between space because. You know, these are that's why there's nomadic people there, because there wasn't good places to live for very long. You had to just keep moving on, you that's know, right. and, and just basically fo- follow the weather and follow the feeding of your herds. And so they're out in the wilderness. And these and, 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 uh, um, and Moses for Moses, this is a disaster. He's gone from being prince of Egypt to now he's a shepherd among a nomadic people. Yeah. Now, there's nothing to suggest that he thought they were less than, but you know he was thinking he was less than.
0: Well, and that's where some of the anger and the self-hate and the stuff comes from, right? And we talked about, because we all know the story of the burning bush, Mm -hmm. but Moses is in this wilderness for Mm -hmm. years. This isn't a short period of time. It isn't like, oh, I went in a commercial break and I come back and I'm saying, let my people go. And the interesting part, and you and I talked about the burning bush and how my kids, one day, one of my daughters said to me, I wish God would talk to us like he talked to people in the olden times. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, how many times do you think Moses walked by the bush yeah. and didn't see it as holy? He wasn't ready. God was talking. He. It just took him 40 years yeah, to hear God.
1: I love that you say that, Adam, because in the Scripture itself, it, it even says that he was grazing his flocks on Mount Horeb, which was known as the Mountain of God. And, But he, it wasn't like it was his first time there. This is where he, he was out there for, we, we think, 40 years. And and he goes past this bush, and you know, and just like we see in the in the Cecil B. DeMille film, you know, here's this bush, and it's it's green, but it's also burning, but it's not being consumed. And I wonder, uh, maybe he'd been past that bush a lot of times before, and it and it wasn't burning, but he'd seen that bush before. He'd been past it, and and he, and this is the this is the marvelous mundane. This is this. It's just a bush. We don't even know what kind of bush it was. And, and yet God speaks, the angel of the Lord speaks from this bush that is a flame, but not being consumed by flame. And it's like, oh, it's beautiful. God is shaping Moses's leadership by using ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Yeah.
0: Talk about, because our conversation with our executive coaching conversations always center on what I always say is, you are where you are until, you're, until God wants you to be somewhere else, right? Yeah. Make, make that pivot with yeah. us. I mean, we have a lot of folks listening who are in a space professionally, personally, emotionally, physically, that for them is their wilderness. Yeah. What are some of those coaching tips from you where we can take this lesson
1: of Moses and apply it to ourselves in our daily lives? Oh, I love it. Uh, you're just... Throwing me some softballs, man. Thank you so much. Anyways, um, keep in mind for Moses, the wilderness is failure. He used to be a big deal. He used to be somebody. He used to be nigh onto a God. And now he's off in a wilderness. And even though tending sheep is an important thing, uh, shepherds were very low on the social totem pole. They were looked down up, they were looked down upon as uh just. People with, uh, you know, they, they have to travel, and in a lot of cultures, they couldn't observe religious rituals because they were out in the fields all the time, so they were considered in, in Israelite, and in Hebrew culture, they were considered unclean. So Moses is not just in the wilderness. He's gone from being a prince of Egypt to being a, a wanted man who can't even go home because his own people don't want him because of, of how he actually stood up for them. And so, the wilderness always feels like failure. There's nothing out here. What am I doing here? And our failures can have. Uh, There's so many wilderness experiences when a great job ends, especially when we didn't want it to end. And then we take another job that's not nearly as good in our view, or it's like not in line with our calling, and we feel like, oh, that's the end. That it's over. That's over for me. So a, a job ends. A, a, a marriage ends. A, a child's, I mean, God forbid, but a child's life of ours ends. There are all these things that that drive us into the wilderness where we feel here's what wilderness should always be associated with. The experience that for me is over. Right. A fi- a financial uh uh either a mistake or a financial calamity or some massive, you know, uh, economic recession or depression. And we feel like financially it's over for me. So mm. whenever I feel like it's over, uh, the that's what the wilderness is when humanly it feels like it's over, but in biblical leadership, God's just getting started.
0: Mm. He's mm. just
1: getting started.
0: Y'all see why I love this dude? I mean, I have been in many wildernesses mm. and been in many of them with my with my guy Tim Sutherland. And because. because when you're in a wilderness, it's like, oh my gosh, it's over. I was X or I had Y, or I'm dealing with this a sick child, or I'm dealing with all these things, and it will never end. The pain will never end. And this is why when you and I were talking about a situation, why then the story of Moses in the wilderness and the shepherds ends up, God brings that to us. Yeah. And we're talking through this and like, this brother was in the wilderness for like 40 years forty right? years. And, and walking by, right? Yeah. Because he wasn't ready. God was preparing him. He wasn't mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually ready, understanding that his wilderness would end when he was ready. And he has some agency over being ready and his readiness. But you can't focus on, I want the old wilderness to end. Mm -hmm. And so when, like you and I have talked about, he was tending his flock right by the burning bush, right Mm -hmm. by God's voice, right by God's presence. And it took him 40 years to be ready enough to see it and hear it. So so the very thing he wanted was to get out of the wilderness, but the very thing that was stopping him Mm -hmm. was himself. And it took him until he was finally prepared, right? And how much of that applies to our lives where, oh, man, this job, or I wanted this, and this is never going to end, and this is so painful, and I'm in this place. Talk about how, as professionals, people, right, Mm -hmm. our audience, how we can prepare ourselves in those wilderness moments to walk through it. Mm-hmm. how we can be sustained through it, and how we can be ready to come out of it into what has God, you know, the glorious, the next thing that God yeah. has planned for us.
1: Uh, I coach a, a pastor of a church out in uh, Arizona, and we were talking about this story, and and, and uh, I was coaching him on his sermon prep. And the phrase that we, that we came up with along these lines is, uh, the end is never the end the end is never the end the end of the relationship isn't the end of your relational life the end of the job is not the end of your calling the end of your reputation is not the end of your calling the end the end of your uh, of your financial solvency is the end is never the end and so I think this is the, is, is that this, uh, we are in the wilderness and we go wilderness means O V E R. And yet the still small voice of God is going, the end is never the end. The end is never the end. Okay. And, uh, I, I, I heard, uh, uh, I heard somebody say a long time ago, uh, an old black preacher say, uh, don't, don't put periods where life has put a comma. We're out in the wilderness and we think O V E R, period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of career, end of impact, end of end of meaning, purpose, hope, and end of influence, end of all these things that we hold so dear. And the and I would just say the end is never the end. And as basic as that is, that is something that even if we know it in our heads, we don't know it in our hearts because the wilderness keeps say, keeps calling to us saying, oh, it's over for you. Right. Yeah, right. you're, you're past your prime. I was a pastor of a very, very large church that I had the privilege of helping start in uh, the Chicago area, and I was with that for 26 years and uh, had a... Uh, let's say acrimonious uh, departure and, and also a divorce in the same year. And here I am a pastor and my own church that I helped start shows me the door. And I just got divorced Uh, and I'm thinking, and I, and I'm 52, 53 years old and I'm in the wilderness and it's just going, it's over for me, man. I had a good run. It was nice. I had a good run. It was a good 26 years while it lasted, but I'm 52. My better days are behind me. And then, but all the time along in the wilderness, God is going, the end is never the end. And he had influence for me and impact for me that I didn't even envision. And through getting to to, to work and coach with people like you, Adam, it's like going, Hey, the end is never the end. You're here talking to Adam about me right now. Aren't you? Yeah. The end is never the end. So, you know, Adam, I know you've been there. I've I've been there and see, I really believe sooner or later, we all will be there. Let me recommend a quick book, Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward. Mm. Man, yes. who just, just take, take it from me and Adam, just take a, take a, just a, a little gander at, at Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R is how you spell his last name, Richard Rohr Falling Upward. And it's like, yeah, uh, don't don't put periods where life tried to where life tried to uh uh, uh were really um don't let it be a period what's really only a comma that's right well
0: and it's it's recognizing in yourself that the challenge with us as humans and we see those oftentimes with our children i mean i work with college students every day that narcissism that everything's mm. about me right mm. is oh what i'm going through is just so because that's how we are yeah. right and so it feels like things are are time is moving on half time oh, until my. you can be in the place where you realize okay yeah. i am where i am because god wants me to be here we can we can praise him on palm sunday we just we struggle on good friday right yeah. oh my gosh, I I can praise him when I get the job. I can praise him when I win the lottery. I can praise him when we get married. I can praise him when I get that degree, right? All of the things, right? But you have the hard part for all of us. And that's why having a coach, having someone like you, having people in your life who can remind you that you have to praise him for the wilderness as well, because you are there for a reason. It's about preparation It's about awareness. I can tell you the wildernesses that I have walked through in my life, I thought, I mean, literally what you are saying, I thought it was the end, Uh end of my career, end of everything, end of myself, end of my value, until at some point, God prepared me for and said to me, you haven't been paying attention. Yeah. Look at this value. Look at your family. Look at your kids. Look at all these students and these lives that you have touched, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the next chapter, the falling upward comes. Yeah. And so now when people ask me in my current full-time job, people ask me all the time, well, how is it? Is it hard? Is it da 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 I say, yeah, but I'm prepared. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't walked through those wildernesses, I wouldn't. so this with Moses, this is all about preparation. Sure. Tim, talk a little bit about because we want to put a period on Moses, and you do this better than anybody I know. Moses, so the whole circle happens. Moses, you know, the 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 Hebrews get freed. Moses cannot go into the promised land because he has killed the Egyptian slave ma- or the the Egyptian. Um, guard or whatever it was, right? And so he's not allowed to go into the promised land after the, the Hebrews, again, wander in the wilderness, wilderness again, for another 40 years, right? Yeah. And God says, well, I'm not going to let you go in. But that's not the end for Moses. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the relationship and how that's a model for us in our lives, how Moses has this relationship with God that's different, and how Moses is
1: experience or what we know of him ends in a place that is really one of triumph. Oh, it's amazing. You know, Moses not being allowed to enter the promised land gets to- gets told oftentimes as like a guilt-oriented shame-based cautionary tale and and but the part that doesn't get told is is that um even after Moses had messed up like he had messed up, you know, he was in in for practical terms he was a murderer. And he had failed at times in his leadership in, in leading God's people the way God said to. And God says, you're not the one. See, he's not going, you're being punished. He just goes, no, you're not the one. I got another one. Okay. And, but I love the way his story, it, it, Moses is 120 years old, right? He's in the wilderness till he's 80. We didn't even talk about Adam, how how the New England Journal of Medicine will tell you that your most productive decade as a human being, if you live in the United States, is from sixty to seventy, and since I just turned sixty at the end of last December, I'm saying hallelujah to that man. Preach. So anyhow, uh, the end is never the end, even when you turn sixty. Yeah, even when you turn sixty and and get shown the door by the you know by whoever, uh, and uh, so it's it uh, the. God's people are about to enter the promised land and he, and he takes Moses up. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in all in all of in all scripture. He takes him up on, on this mountaintop and he shows him. He shows him this land flowing with milk and honey that the people that he has given his life um, for, and leading them through the wilderness and living in the wilderness. And God shows him it. And, uh, and God isn't taunting him going, oh, see, if you had just been a better leader, you'd be leading him in and, you know, sucks to be you. No, 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 no. It says in scripture that even after Moses had failed, that that, that Moses and God talked together face to face as friend speaks to friend. Moses and the Lord, Moses and the Lord are on first name basis. And so I, let, let me
0: just, let me just stop you there for everyone else. Okay. There is no other time in scripture that that is said.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Moses talks to God and God talks to Moses. It's the reason why Moses, his hair is white from talking to God, right? He yeah. isn't talking to God like, oh, he's talking to God like that's his brother. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and God is talking to Moses in that way, despite. Now, this is where all of our sins and all of oh. our struggles and all of our wilderness matter, because that's who God is for all of us too, right? Uh-huh. Um, he's still there. Yeah, he isn't punishing Moses. No. He's talking with Moses. He's showing. He's saying, "Bro, let me show you what this has all been for. Yeah. Let me show you what we did together." So, sum it up for us, Tim. Talk uh, about the back end of the Moses story because uh,
1: Moses then goes away, and what happens? Well, after God shows him this, uh, Moses dies, and. People would say, "Oh, how tragic. Moses dies alone in the wilderness." No, no, no. Scripture says that God himself buried him. Moses Ooh. gets buried with God's own hands. This is this has never been true uh before or since. Think about this. Any of you all who've lost a loved one, you know what it's like to be at the graveside and and to see uh, your precious loved one lowered in the ground, and I'm I'm sorry to. I know it's painful, but you know, as painful as it is, it's precious and it's intimate. And when Moses dies, his family's not there, but but he's not fretting about that because his his God, his friend Yahweh, the Master of the Universe, buries him himself. God was Moses's own grave digger.
0: And, and the efficient and the efficient and, and at, at
1: at the funeral and so and, and you know who's at Moses's funeral just god that's all just god he digs he digs the grave buries buries the body and uh and officiates and it's and it's even says uh that nobody knows to this day where Moses was buried but that's not really what it means it means god only knows and you know right. i got i got kids i got a grandbaby you got kids, you got grandbabies, as you know, uh as as much as my family means to me. If uh if God if God digs my grave and God lays me in it and God officiates at my funeral, I'll take it. Brother. There is intimacy, there is intimacy between this guy who had failed in so many ways and this guy who didn't even make his biggest splash until he was north of 80. And he's and and God buried him with his own hands. And to me, it's one of the most touching moments in all in all of scripture. And uh, uh, and it also is, is just inspiring to me, because no matter what I do for God, it's who I am with God that matters.
0: Mm. Tim Sutherland, my brother, I'm going to say this before you do. You know, I love you, right?
1: Oh, you know, I love you, right?
0: A hundred percent. Thank you so much for sharing with us today your wisdom. the And regardless, family, whether you see the Bible as a life book or a faith book, this journey of Moses is the kind of thing that you can apply to your daily life. God knew when he was writing it the way we would live. We just have to see the signs in the book and use it, whether it's our self-improvement our leadership, our executive coaching, or our statement of faith. Tim, thank you so much for joining
1: us. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between me, Rachel Hansen, and Adam Smith. If you want to hear more from Adam, visit his website, here adamspeak.com where you can book him to speak at your organization and hear more about what he has to say about what we talk about here on the show. Now, if you want to support the show itself, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. You can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, send us an email, or share an episode with a friend. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.